Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week of DQ with Damani. I am your host, Damani Mater, and it is Ramadan. Your boy has been fasting. Has it been too difficult? Training, sleeping, getting up, eating suhoor, making sure I got iftar dinner, which I have been, you know, casually, uh, let's just say, finessing the system off of the <laughs> off of the school, but. It's been a great experience so far. I can't really complain. Next weekend, April 22nd, which just so happens to coincide with the night that Tank and Ryan Garcia fight. Ramadan ends, and everything will be back to normal. No more worshipping, no more sunnah. Everything is once again right with the world. Getting a little closer with God. You can never go wrong with that. All my non-Muslims, please do convert. Give it a try. A lot of people get this weird preconception about Islam and terrorism and all this craziness, but it's really a religion of love. And I have nothing but love for all of my brothers and sisters of Islam who are fasting alongside me. But this is not a religion based podcast. This is a podcast about boxing. So let's get straight into it. Oh, Shakur Stevenson. This man like I said, was going to shock the world with his next fight. I told you guys that something crazy was going to happen last episode, and I delivered perfectly on my prediction. I hope you guys made some good money because Shakur put hands on that boy, Yoshino. You say no power, what they say this. Exactly. You say that. I remember that. Keep saying what y'all saying, man. <laughs> I love every minute of it. Keep that same energy, though. So a lot of people were commenting on the fact that Shakur will be moving up to a new weight class and his power might be different. Obviously, he's fighting bigger guys. But in my opinion, he was already a little bit oversized for 130 pounds, which is exactly why he moved up in the first place. It doesn't really sound like his power has changed much at 135 pounds, lightweight. If you ignore the commentators during the fight for just long enough before the knockout, you can hear just how loud Shakur's shots were. Like I reported in the prior week's episode, Isak Cruz decided to avoid Shakur, duck, avoid, whichever adjective you want to use, after he was mandated by the WBC to fight him in a title eliminator. After this knockout victory, it's really important that Shakur takes on somebody in the top five. I don't like seeing him fighting guys who are ranked lower than him. Those guys are all great tests for prospects, guys who are really making their way up the rankings. But Shakur needs to be in the undisputed title picture immediately. A lot of people are calling on the winner of Lomachenko and the undisputed champion currently, Devin Haney, to fight Shakur. I believe Shakur Stevenson is ready for the undisputed fight, considering he is also politically lined up with top rank at the moment. Top rank's internal movement within the division has been pretty decent, so I would not put the fight being made out of the question. However, I got to keep it real with y'all. I always got to keep it 100 on this show. It is important to remember that the WBC may make moves independently of any of the promotions. An example of this being Alexander Usyk and Daniel Dubois. We know that Usyk's got a pretty big lucrative contract deal with the zone. But Daniel Dubois, he just came off of a ridiculous contract with Don King that he didn't even get paid for. So the WBC, WBA, they do not care. Where are your signs? When it comes to getting those fights done, they they put it clean, cut and dry. Get it done, or we'll move on to the next guy. These guys need to get 
title fights completed contractually. There is no reason we should be in a position right now where Shakur Stevenson just knocked out Yoshino and people are still waiting like, oh man, should he fight somebody in the top 15 or is the undisputed fight next? Why is that a question? Why is that even a, 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 a question at this point in time? Why is there even a need to look at that knockout performance and say, man, does he need a tune-up? He don't need no tune-up in the top 15. He needs to fight for those four belts. Either that or the winner of Tank and Ryan fights him. Because I'm hoping that the WBA allows Tank to defend his belt against Garcia. If not, whoever wins that fight, hopefully it will be Tank. Because obviously we all know that I do not respect Ryan Garcia in the slightest. Outside of the fact that he is a competitor. Tank versus Shakur for the 135-pound WBA championship would be an excellent fight. That would definitely be a great fight to have on the agenda for PBC or top rank, depending on who gets the majority rights to license and stream that fight. One way or another, I have to see Shakur in a title fight soon, or I'm just going to have to start calling it like it is with top rank. They're messing up with the marketing, and they're messing up with getting these fights completed. I need to see Shakur Stevenson in a title fight next. I don't care for no tune-ups. I don't care for anybody who's ranked below him. It is time to get a title fight done immediately. Sebastian Tundora, man. All the hype on the show. All the hype from Showtime. All the hype from his team. It just all came crashing down like a tree in a quiet forest this past April 8th. In a shocking turn of events, Sebastian Fundora, the towering inferno, gets handed his first knockout loss. Knockout, not unanimous decision, not majority decision, not split decision, knockout loss. He got knocked spark out, head bouncing against the canvas, completely, nearly, nearly lost all of his motor functions. He was able to sit up, but he couldn't stand. It's just disappointing to see my boy go out like that. But the boxing world, aside from just me, has been left in shambles these last few days. Fundora was really supposed to be next up. He was touted as the man to take Charlo's belt and maybe even unify the division. It was clear from a lot of critics of Fundora that they wanted Fundora to go on and secure a one on his record. Just one. They wanted this man to lose, taste defeat. And for pretty baseless reasons, it doesn't really make sense because Fundora, he's not a guy who talks trash. He respects all of his opponents. He's been humble in press conferences. He's been humble when he makes media appearances on podcasts such as the Boxing Boys. He's a really down-to-earth guy. He's 24, 25 years old. He doesn't really have a big chip on his shoulder like a lot of prospects such as Richardson Hitchens, Boots Ennis. Like a lot of these guys, they talk their, they talk their mess and they're able to back it up. But Fundora, he saves all the trash talk, and he's like, hey, we're two, we're two competitors. We're just trying to put food on our family's plates. Let's get in there. Let's make this magic happen, which I have very much respect for him for doing because a lot of guys, they would rather talk trash to sell the fight and even betray their own personalities, completely just develop a personality outside of who they are deep down at the roots of themselves as a person to be able to sell a fight which doesn't really make much sense to me. If you're not your authentic self, then 
who who truly are you in, when those cameras come off? People are going to ask a lot of questions, myself included, both as a competitor and somebody who's a spectator. You ask questions of guys like Kobe Covington, of guys like Rosen, of guys like Lorenzo Hunt, who is also a great fighter, by the way. All those guys, they talk trash to sell fights, but it really makes you sit back and wonder, are these guys genuine? Are these guys really like this off camera? Or are they doing it just for the bread? And in the case of Sebastian Fundora, he completely eliminates all of those potential conversations by just being an upfront and down to earth guy. He literally just went out and chopped trees, hanging out with his dog for training. He's a good guy from Coachella, California. He doesn't really have much to offer other than his skills at face value because the trash talk just isn't there. And I love him for that. It's just really disappointing to see somebody who's that humble take a loss in that fashion, get knocked out that badly. It really makes me sad to see him go out like that. Now, like I mentioned during the fight preview for this match, Sebastian Fundora is a big guy. He is six foot six. His opponent, Brian Mendoza, was only five foot ten. So that just speaks levels to how drastically different the physical dimensions between these two men were. And it was really interesting to see how well Fundora's ring generalship was holding up as a southpaw throughout the seven rounds until he ultimately got knocked out. He had a very solid height and reach advantage, but this goes straight into Sebastian Fundora's biggest weakness as a boxer with that much height and reach. He prefers to go straight into textbook phone booth boxing. He's not a guy who prefers to fight on the outside, which may be great for the fans, but it's all, it's not great at all for your level of professionalism, being able to hit and not get hit, because the longer you stay inside with the shorter man as the taller man with longer arms, a much better reach, the more opportunities the shorter man has to hit you. The longer you spend in fighting, the more opportunities you allow your opponent to hit you, which is exactly what happened with Brian Mendoza. Fundora's uppercut, Fundora's right hook are his best shots. His uppercut from his left hand and his right hand are his best shots. But Mendoza was able to smother them effectively and land left hooks that eventually gave him access to one massive left hook that chopped the towering inferno down into nothing but a charcoal fire. The key issue that Fundora was having against Mendoza was the fact that each time he would throw that uppercut, he would leave his lead hand low. This is the same issue that fighters like Ryan Garcia have. This is the same issue that fighters like Jorge Masvidal have. This was the same issue that Anthony Joshua had against Usyk. Leaving your lead hand low when you're throwing a punch from the rear side of your body. Whether that's a punch, kick, etc. This applies to both MMA and boxing. You are opening your chin up for a counter. That is a free counter from your opponent. Whether they're a southpaw or an orthodox fighter, you are offering the opponent free eats on a counter to your chin. I can't stress enough how important it is to be able to alternate your hands when you throw power shots. Because the more opportunities you give to your opponent, the more opportunities 
they will have to deliver a knockout blow, which is exactly what happened to Fundora and exactly why Jorge Masvidal lost against Gilbert Burns. I will be talking about that fight a little later, but he is related to this problem because he had the exact same issue as Fundora, leaving his lead hand low. When you are in neutral position and you are either in high guard, mid guard, sometimes even the Philly show, you have to be able to raise your lead hand up to be able to protect yourself in time from a counter. Doesn't matter whether you're throwing a straight, doesn't matter whether you're throwing an uppercut. In Fundora's case, it was the uppercut, and that was exactly what led to his downfall. His lead hand was low. Obviously, being the southpaw, the best punch in that scenario to throw as a counter was the left hook, and that was the shot that Mendoza delivered and completely buckled the knees of Fundora. Watching that highlight back several times was such a surreal experience after watching it live because... I couldn't believe how quickly Mendoza both threw the shot and stepped forward to close the distance after taking a step back. Firstly, he threw the left hook, stepped back, then dipped right back inside with his lead leg to throw a straight and then another left hook to completely drop him. Once again, bounce his head straight off the canvas, leave that man staggering, wondering where the hell he's at. I could not believe that Fundora made such a rookie mistake. But it's usually rookie mistakes that cause knockouts like that. Roley, same thing. Rushing in. Lead hand low. While throwing a shot. It happens. But it's all because either your coach has allowed you to lean into those bad habits. Or you simply aren't realizing those flaws while you're either shadow boxing, working on the bag. Or even in sparring, which is really where those mishaps regarding technique are supposed to be ironed out fully. And made sure that you're not walking into a fight with the same mistakes that you've been making during sparring. I'm not sure what happened in Fundora's camp during preparation for this fight with Mendoza, but it is very clear moving forward that they need to not only be able to work from distance, but if he is going to continue to fight phone booth style, in fighting, straight up close, guard to guard, that he does not drop his lead or his rear hand while he's alternating throwing those power shots. He needs to get that, fig that, that entire situation figured out because... It's really disappointing to know that you've not only lost in such a, 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 a novice way, but you've completely given up all of the traction that you've built thus far. Like I mentioned to you guys earlier, this man was supposed to be fighting Charlo next. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a really sad situation looking back on it now. And I, I, I want nothing but the best for Fundora and his entire team, his sister as well, who is also an up-and-coming prospect. I really hope that he'll be able to bounce back from this loss. He won't be affected by it mentally, even though I know it can be challenging. It's a lot easier said than done to just move on from a loss like that, especially when you've got knocked spark out. It's, it's just for the best that he both irons that out and just takes the proper steps forward to be able to regain his position. Whether or not he takes a tune-up or not, I'm not entirely sure whether that's beneficial for him. But I would like to see him get a rematch. Once again, like I just said, iron those kinks out, step back into a rematch, get his belt back, hopefully gain all the traction that he just lost back. If that's not possible, then a tune-up at 154 pounds is what's next for him. So not only did Sebastian Fundora get knocked out, the legend himself, Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, got taken out 
via unanimous decision. Oh, man. This one was just really disappointing. It was, of course, the precursor to Alex and Izzy getting it on for the second time in the UFC. But I was really excited to see Jorge back, mostly because he's continuously put on great performances against guys who have been regarded as monsters. Even though he did lose to Usman twice, he still gave it his all. Did get knocked out. He still really applies maximum effort. And in this fight, it really didn't give the impression that that was the case. It felt like we had Masvidal in the, the, the center of all of this. But he really wasn't himself. It didn't really seem like he was being true to himself, his skills, and all of his physical capabilities, which I will be getting into very shortly. I'll start just by being completely truthful with his physical composition. He looked like your uncle at the yearly cookout who thinks he could still run the hands with you. I swear, this man looked like somebody's unk. Not even not even a drunk unk. The unk who think he could still square up with you like you a little kid. Not exactly out of shape, but not necessarily in his prime either. It really looked like he didn't take the camp leading up to the Burns fight seriously. Now, as far as his actual performance, the main problem with Masvidal was the exact same problem that Fundora had against Mendoza. When moving forward or opening a combo with the opposite hand, the lead hand was just really just too low. I swear to all of you, if you watch that fight back, you will see word for word, bar for bar, the same exact flow between Fundora and Masvidal. Regardless of the fact that they fight from two different stances, their lead hands were just dangerously low. In Masvidal's case, the lead hand was low even when he was in neutral position. At least Fundora kept his, his, his lead hand high as he was progressing throughout the fight outside of just moving. Each round, he had his lead hand up. He would alternate between having it low when he would throw. When he wasn't, he would have it up. But opening those combos, like I said, lead hand was just low. Masvidal, like I just said, even in neutral position, just standing still, his lead hand was low. It made absolutely no sense for his hand to be down by his stomach. Like, that's just ridiculous. There's a reason why Gilbert Burns, Durinho, has been ducked so many times in the welterweight division. And it's not because he has pillow hands. This man don't got baby hands. He don't got no, no, no. This man could knock anybody out clean. Spark clean. Of course, he's a bit chinny himself. He did, you know, get knocked out by a jab against Usman. But still, Burns was able to pick Masvidal apart on the feet because of how weak his guard was. His overhand right and check left hook landed cleanly, but only because Masvidal's guard was almost nowhere to be found at times. And I'm not going to lie to y'all, I got to keep it 100, like I always do. It was really disappointing to see him lose that way. There's got to be something in the water in Florida and California because everybody's got trash guards. Everybody. What's good with the coaches? When these social media coaches do all that pat work, all them YouTube shorts flexing, them TikTok videos flexing, they don't include the part where you're supposed to keep both of your hands up at all times. It, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense. They're just farming these guys for views, throwing them to the slaughter like without even realizing, yo, you got to keep your hand up. You shooting across, keep that left hand up. Shooting a left hook, keep that right hand up. Like having a phone to your ear. You got to keep them hands up. It just doesn't make sense. We got to be going over this 
at this stage in these guys' career. It's not like they don't have any experience. These guys are trained professionals. It's crazy. And now, the moment all combat sports fans around the world have been waiting for. We are one week away. Next week, April 22nd, Saturday, is the day we finally get to see where the lightweight division will go. It is also the last day of Ramadan for all of my Islamic brothers and sisters out there. Will Tank get ahead and make himself the face of boxing? Or will Ryan Garcia take his TikTok boxing stardom to the next level? I sure as hell hope he doesn't. The streets have really been talking like crazy all week as media workouts have been released from both camps. The All Access second episode, I believe the third episode, may have dropped this week. I'm not entirely sure. But really, it's about time we got to the action. But before we get to any of the talk regarding the matchup itself, who I think is going to win predictions, betting, etc., there's been some backlash from other pros about the rehydration clause in this fight. Like I've already mentioned on the show before, I think the rehydration clause is absolutely foolish. As a competitor, it is absolutely foolish for people to be complaining, including Ryan Garcia and his team, about the rehydration clause. I support the hydration clause, but I do not support the reaction to it from Ryan Garcia, his fans, and all the other people who seem to have an issue with it. Because this man has every single avenue possible to be able to make 135 pounds tank is being generous by giving him an extra pound and saying look i don't want you showing up inflated he's doing him a favor i have never heard anybody in any situation in boxing complain about wanting to have a fight fair and consider the fact that this man ryan garcia is 24 years old complaining about cutting weight knowing that he's fought at 135 almost his entire career He's only had, what, one fight? And that was against Fortuna at a catch weight of 143. 143, yes, yes. It, 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 it baffles me how people will look at that and try to paint Tank in a bad light. How, how can you blame Tank for wanting to be as safe as possible in there against a guy who really wants to show up at, a, at oh, give or take, 154, maybe even 160, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the show? This man wants to have every single advantage over Tank and that rehydration clause is exactly what's preventing him from showing up like a Michelin man. He is completely omitting all of the weight issues that could stem from that by saying, look, do not put on over 10 pounds of water weight between weigh-in and fight night. That is it. It is the bare minimum when you're fighting at a lower weight class like that, especially if it's a catch weight. It makes absolutely no sense how people are just complaining about this. Either by draining Ryan or increasing his own weight, which really also makes no sense. People seem to think that Tank included the rehydration clause to put Ryan Garcia in a bad position, which, like I just said, makes absolutely no sense. I don't get how people aren't understanding the purpose of a rehydration clause. It It's baffling, <laughs> like, just... To see all the things people are saying online, people are just getting on their own shows, and and guys who have absolutely zero experience with boxing and weight cutting commenting on this like they have actual knowledge of this is just, it, it's really frustrating because this man can make the weight. He's not in a position like Errol Spence where 
He's up there in age and cutting weight is difficult to do. He's not at an age like an Amir Khan or a Kell Brook who notably have had issues making weight, but they still found a way to do it. It's tough when you're an older guy. That testosterone slowing down a little bit. You pack on pounds a lot easier. It, it gets difficult, but he is not at that age. He is in his prime. So the excuses for Ryan Garcia have to stop. All you fanboys, whether you Mexican, black, white, I, I do not care what race you are. You have to stop with these excuses. There is no reason that you should be trying to make excuses for a fighter who is perfectly capable of making not just the catch weight, but the intended weight at lightweight, which is 135 pounds. It has to stop. Pulikuting to Kova before we leave this week's edition off. Gile Zhang versus Joe Joyce this weekend. Major fight for a WBO interim world heavyweight championship. Still very important because I think this fight not only sets up what's to come for the heavyweight division, much similar to the way that Tank and Ryan's fight will set up what's going on next for the lightweight division. Big Montaigne, two huge guys, six foot six, both of them. 80-inch reach for Joe Joyce. Orthodox, of course, we've got Gile Zhang, same exact height, like I just said. Decent reach for his size. He is a southpaw, so really we've got a solid matchup between two heavyweights with big knockout power. Orthodox versus southpaw stances. One man is undefeated, Zhang Unfortunately, has a loss to Philip Hergovich, who was his last fight, but he did not get beaten badly. It was a unanimous decision loss, but it wasn't terrible enough to give the impression that he wouldn't be ready for Joe Joyce. He is definitely ready for Joe Joyce, and I think that he will be a worthwhile challenge for him as far as testing Joe Joyce at his age and at this stage of his career goes. This is a very promising fight. I want everybody to watch that. This man, Joe Joyce, has a 93% KO rate. So, look, heavy hands. You're bound to make some money if you want to put some money up. Most definitely get out and watch that if you can. Where is crazy, man? Or the bad man is outside. I'm looking out. Beautiful sun. I am telling you guys, the weather changed quick. I'm not sure if we've hit a fake spring or if we're really into it. But either way, I have been enjoying the weather. I'm sure all of my folks down south, out west, Central America, hopefully have been enjoying the same. Haven't really seen anything crazy regarding weather patterns as of late. Either way, make sure you enjoy the beautiful spring weather. If you are practicing Ramadan, please make sure you've got your suhoor and iftar meals prepared. I know some people have been slacking a little bit on that. You do not want to starve yourself. Fasting is not about starving. It is not about starving. We are getting closer to God. But like I said earlier, this is not a religious podcast. I'm just feeling it because we are in the swing of Ramadan. We've got one more week to go. Let's finish out strong together, my brothers and sisters. Gilles Jean, Joe Joyce this weekend, Tank and Ryan next weekend on the 22nd of April. I will be hosting a huge fight party. 
Thus ends another week of BQ with Damani. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast for your weekly source of boxing news and lifestyle, as well as MMA. We got to squeeze the MMA in there. I know you guys want that badly. Hopefully, I'll be having a co-host on soon so that we'll be able to get both sides, make it a little bit easier on me. But for now, you guys will have to just chill with me. Le Tigre, Damani, made it. This is your host, leaving you off for another week. Please be safe, enjoy the weather, keep going strong with the fasting, and God bless.